Hey everybody, my name is Jason Wilson. I'm a natural product scientist and a science educator, and I am curious about cannabis. Everybody, this is Jason Wilson with the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. So, all right, it is 2022. We are entering April of 2022. Last time I released an episode was in November of 2021, I believe. So, welcome back, everybody. It's yeah, it's been a minute. Uh, eventually, I'll get around to explaining why it's been so long since I've released an episode, but um, there's been a, just a lot of things going on. Um, my life has been disrupted in a million different ways that's made it hard to um, even uh, work much at all. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I appreciate you tuning in again and sticking with us through this extended break. Um, the good thing, without getting into too much detail, I can say that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And pretty soon I'll be in a position to be cranking out more content than I ever have. So uh, eventually we'll get there one step at a time. So a little bit of a heads up about this episode. This episode is a little unique. You may have noticed from the intro that there is not a guest for this episode. Um, instead, you'll get to listen to me ramble for an hour. And I wanted to open up our 2022 season this way for multiple reasons. One, um, I've gotten a lot of feedback from fans and um, even folks that I've interviewed that have said that they didn't know much about me and they liked my work and, you know, liked the show and um, our courses and everything, but that they didn't realize what I did in the industry or that I was even involved in working in the cannabis industry. Um, I've had a lot of people say they didn't realize I was a cannabis patient um, or that I was even a cannabis user. I've had some people try to claim that I don't even use cannabis at all, which is hilarious um, because the reality is the polar opposite of that. Um, and then I've also been going through a lot of personal stuff. Um, like I mentioned, my life has been disrupted over the past six months or so, um, in pretty big ways that have led to me having to make a lot of profound changes to my life. And so, um, going forward, things will be a little bit more personal for me um, for different reasons. And so it seemed fitting to sit down and start to record my story and my perspective and start to share it. I've always been very um, kind of personally withdrawn. I have a lot of social anxiety. 
um, and don't like to talk too much about myself and things that I've done and experienced and, and whatnot. Um, but that's also led to this weird disconnect between myself and all of you. Um, I was speaking to someone that I'm preparing to have on as a guest and mentioned uh, some of my work working in cannabis laboratories, building laboratories. And I mentioned the name of one of the laboratories I helped build and they were flabbergasted that they didn't realize that I was connected to that project. And um, they made a comment to me that I needed to put myself out there more and share myself more with people uh, so that they know who I am. So who am I? I guess that's the, the point of this episode. I am curious about cannabis. <laughs> so um, if you're not into this type of episode and don't want to hear me ramble for an hour about my life and why I'm interested in cannabis and how it's affected my life and what led to curious about cannabis and my experiences in the industry and all of that sort of thing, then please skip ahead. And um, I plan on releasing this episode with another episode so that folks will have something that they will like if they don't like this little experiment that I'm doing, you can jump forward and listen to the next episode and forget this ever happened. Um, but I hope that some of you will enjoy hearing what I have to say. And um, I don't know, at least you'll understand where I'm coming from a little more. And maybe that will uh, affect how you relate to the podcast and curious about cannabis and all of our content. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to expect. So Without further ado, I'm going to hand you off to myself. So I hope you enjoy, stay curious, and take it easy. So my connection to cannabis goes back really, really far. I studied cannabis a lot before I ever tried it. Um, and by study cannabis... I was, I was an unusual child, uh, to say the least. And I was studying medicine and pharmacology and drugs when I was 11, 12 years old. And a lot of that stems from uh, my relationship with my dad, because I mentioned my dad has all sorts of health issues. Um, one other side to his health issues is he struggles with PTSD and some other mental health issues. And so growing up, he was always on uh, different medications to treat that, among other, you know, all the other stuff that he has going on. And I was fascinated by understanding how drugs could change someone's personality, their mood and behavior, all of that sort of thing. And so at an extremely early age, I was researching what drugs, you know, my dad was taking. Um, learned about SSRIs and tricyclics and um, MAOIs and antipsychotics, lithium and all these different things. My dad is, he's been on just about every class of antidepressant, antipsychotic that, um, that exist. And through that, I learned a lot about psychopharmacology. So I was kind of weird as a kid. Um, 
I was not uh, pro drugs. I I didn't actually try cannabis until I was around 16 years old, I think. Um, and it didn't become a regular thing for me until I was in college, uh, probably around 20 years old. I've always been fascinated in how drugs affect consciousness at its core. And another side to my kind of reality that I grew up in is my dad was also a Southern Baptist preacher in Mississippi. I'll just pause there for a second to let that soak in. You can marinate in that for a bit. Um, yeah, my upbringing was unique. Uh, growing up around churches and that sort of thing, I was always uh, philosophically inclined. I wanted to understand why people believed what they believed and all of that sort of stuff. And so my interests with psychopharmacology and my interests in philosophy really converged when, you know, I was 12 years old or something and discovered psychedelics. You know, I was reading about them and watching documentaries and stuff. I hadn't actually tried them yet, uh, but I was fascinated in understanding how compounds affect consciousness and, of course, how psychedelics affect consciousness. And through that, of course, I studied cannabis as well. I wasn't that interested in cannabis at first. I found psychedelics very, very fascinating and still do. Um, but cannabis was kind of, uh, I don't know, just off to the side in my brain, not something I really took too seriously. But then uh, when I was about 14 or 15, um, that's when I started to learn more about why cannabis was illegal, why I just started thinking about why drugs were illegal in general. And that's when I started to become a bit more of an activist around some of this kind of stuff, speaking up about how ridiculous the war on drugs was. And when I was uh, in high school, I can't remember, maybe 11th grade, I can't remember exactly. But I was in an oral communications class, which is basically a debate class. And our final project was a debate about cannabis legalization. And we were randomly assigned positions, so you had to be prepared to argue for or against. And that's like one of the uh, things about debate classes, is you have to be prepared to argue for either side. Fortunately, I got assigned the pro position in the cannabis legalization debate, which is great because I was extremely prepared. And in preparation for that debate, I dug deep into uh, the science of cannabis, uh, toxicology, um, you know, safety studies that were done, you know, back in the, from the seventies all the way up till the, you know, late nineties or so when early two thousands, when I was, uh, preparing for all of that. And, uh, keep in mind, this was a time when the endocannabinoid system as a concept had really just been introduced like a couple of years before all of this. Uh, before this debate and everything, um, CBD was not super well known. You know, it, it was known, but in the scientific community to some degree, but not very much. I ended up doing very well on that debate. <laughs> and that was really cool. And I, at that point, had kind of a newfound respect for cannabis. Um, 
I'll never forget the first time that I tried it. We were at a football game and a friend of mine was like, hey, do you want to get stoned? And I laughed and said, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so we ended up going back to his house and having a bonfire. And that was the first time I ever smoked cannabis. It was out of a, like a ceramic pipe. The taste was very unique because it was shitty Mississippi brown brickweed. Uh, but I remember the taste very vividly. And some people say that you don't get high the first time that you smoke. Um, but I definitely did. Um, it was a unique experience compared to what I experience now because my brain had no uh, you know, contextual framework to process what I was experiencing. Um, but I definitely experienced a unique state of consciousness and realized quickly that, like, oh, this isn't as... It's it's interesting and fun, but not as crazy as I'd blown it up to be in my little 16-year-old head. Um, and after that point, I think I smoked cannabis one more time when I was 17, or maybe twice when I was 17. And um, like I said, was really more interested in psychedelics. At this time, I was learning that there were legal psychedelics, so I was going out and, and making concoctions out of heavenly blue morning glory seeds and and other things like that and it was starting to you know try to explore all that world of psychedelic experience and everything and then i got into college and started to get a little more interested in cannabis um i'll never forget the first time i ever made a call to a drug dealer that i didn't know and placing my very first black market order. Um, bizarre experience to think back to. I remember I referred to cannabis as reefer at the time. I was like, do you have any reefer that I could buy? Um, just ridiculous. So then I started to use cannabis more regularly um, and noticed that it fit well with me personally and just who I was and my personality and um, I didn't know at the time but I was developing a variety of mental health issues throughout my teens and early 20s and cannabis provided a reliable state of consciousness that was safe uh, compared to what my brain was doing when I did use cannabis and so I ended up becoming a regular user um, using cannabis every day and that pretty much hasn't stopped uh, for the most part um, my the way that I engage the cannabis plant and what chemicals I use from it has evolved but still engage with the cannabis plant in some form or another whether it's hemp or high THC cannabis or whatever um, every day I want to stop and put out a little disclaimer here. So I'm sharing my personal story about my own cannabis use. Um, by no means do I want people listening to this to think that I am advocating for people to do any of the things that I did growing up, um, especially when it comes to uh, things like mental health disorders. That's a very, very sensitive topic. Um, 
And I don't want people to think that I'm saying that it's necessarily okay to use cannabis to treat any mental health disorder. It's a very personal, individualized thing. Um, I've seen cannabis do amazing things for some people with uh, some mental health disorders like bipolar, PTSD, obsessive compulsive disorder, and things like that. I've also seen it um, exacerbate um, bad symptoms of those disorders in other people. So it's just a very individualized thing. I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not um, suggesting anything by uh, what I'm sharing here other than just providing you my story. So I just wanted to put that out there uh, just to be safe. And um, to expand a little bit about what I was going through at this time, you know, I was mentioning that I was learning that I had some mental health issues. I, I would learn much later in life that I had mental health issues that run in my family. Um, the problem, though, is when I was in my early 20s, I didn't know any of my biological family at all and didn't know anything about my biological um, medical history. And so I didn't know that those things could crop up. I started seeing a therapist in my, you know, when I was 21, I think, or something like that. And, you know, we've gone back and forth on like, do you have PTSD or is this bipolar? Uh, do you have ADD with PTSD or, you know, so there's something there either from the things that I've experienced in life. I might have a little bit of PTSD from that. That's that has led to a series of symptoms that I deal with on a regular basis. It also may be hereditary bipolar um, or combination. Who knows? But the best way I can describe my experience of the world is in general, my default is um, that I'm depressed. I'm generally depressed every day. And I go through periods of time where um, I am pretty manic, um, not as much as a full bipolar one uh, diagnosed individual. Um, that's kind of the characteristic, like severe mania, severe depression swings. Um, I'm more of a bipolar two, where I have kind of what's called hypomania, where I have this, you know, increase in energy, kind of abnormal uh, increase in energy. And um, I'm usually extremely productive in those time periods. And then I go back to being pretty depressed. And in my early, early 20s, um, I didn't understand those cycles, what I was experiencing. Um, I was also starting to have panic attacks for the first time in my life and didn't know that they were panic attacks. And um, so in my early 20s, I struggled quite a bit with suicidal ideation. And um, I went down a lot of different uh, crazy roads in trying to understand what was going on with me and why I felt the way that I did. Um, how cannabis plays into it all. So you heard me mention that for me, cannabis provided a reliable state of consciousness that was safe. 
um, I was very deliberate in how I said that. For me, when I was feeling some of my darkest moments and spiraling out of control, because what will happen when you're in these depressive cycles, you have a thought that loops over and over and over again, and energy feeds upon itself, and you find yourself getting angry at yourself and angrier and angrier at yourself, and um, a lot of bad things can happen if that spiraling is not uh, gotten under control. Well, I learned early on that if I could remember to consume cannabis in some form, and the, the key is remembering, because when you're in these cycles, your brain is in all these different places and it's hard to remember the things that you want to remember but if i could do that it would interrupt those thought loops interrupt those cycles and reset my whole being my energy completely would just sort of reset and um that's huge for me and i've talked to other people that are diagnosed with bipolar or diagnosed with ptsd that have um these kinds of spiraling um patterns, these symptoms of, you know, kind of intense depression and intense anger, um, and that have said the same thing. So uh, for me, I have not found that cannabis triggers mania like it does in some people. And I think that's because I'm, if I am bipolar, I'm bipolar too, and have hypomania rather than full blown, you know, kind of intense mania. So I don't know, but I just wanted to put this wedge, this little after the fact recording in here about this. Uh, it was just weighing on my mind as I was listening back to um, to everything. So with that, I will send you back to the episode. It wouldn't be until right around when I was getting ready to graduate college that I noticed that it cannabis was helping me in other ways. So when I was a teenager, I was an avid skateboarder. My favorite skateboarder was Rodney Mullen. So those of you that skateboard that are listening to this, Rodney Mullen, he's the man, uh, basically invented skateboarding as we know it in terms of street skating. So I mostly focused on a lot of ground tricks. I wasn't a big um, ramp skater or a vert skater I, it just didn't really interest me that much I just preferred doing flip tricks on the ground eventually I started to get the itch to try to learn how to do board slides and things on rails and I shouldn't have done that because I was not good at it and um, I paid for it dearly so um, a few times I was sliding on a rail my board would slide out from underneath me and one time I landed right on my tailbone and pretty darn sure I cracked it. Um, one of the most painful and debilitating feelings I've ever felt. Um, another time I landed a little further up my spine, um, ended up breaking my wrists at one point. And also during this time, I just thrashed my body in so many ways because not only was I into skateboarding, but I was also, I was an adrenaline junkie. And so I was jumping off of roofs, skateboarding off of roofs. I had used to have videos. I've tried to find them. I don't know if they still exist, but there used to be videos of me, you know, with my skateboard riding and, and ollieing off of houses, just 
onto bare ground <laughs> below. Um, I would jump off of roofs into swimming pools and stuff and just ridiculous stuff. When I started to get towards the end of my college years, or my undergraduate years, and getting ready to graduate, I realized that my body was not feeling good and that my back particularly was really messed up. I was starting to have these um, moments where my back would seize up and I wouldn't be able to walk. I could hardly even crawl across a room. Um, just excruciating pain and um, like electrical pulses and shivering and stuff that would run through my body. Um, a profound uh, kind of itchiness. Uh, I always said it, it felt like there were millions of ants crawling all over my neck and back that were biting me. Uh, I realize now that was from nerve damage um, from different points in my spine. And my life became really unbearable. Um, and you partner all of that with some of the mental health issues I was going through. And um, what I started to realize was that if I used cannabis regularly, my back would settle down and that it wouldn't seize up. I'd be able to walk around and go about my day. But if I didn't treat it like medicine, if I didn't use cannabis every single day, roughly around the same time every day, and keep it in my system, then it would all come back. And I ended up going to see a doctor. Uh, people that know me today often joke that I don't ever go to doctors, um, but I will point out that there was a time in my life when I did, in fact, go to see doctors. And I will still do it begrudgingly if I have to. But I've just had so many negative experiences with the healthcare system that I, um, I definitely have a bias there. But anyway, this younger version of me did go to the doctor and they ended up doing, um, some MRI scans and I went through all sorts of drug treatments. I took, you know, muscle relaxers and steroids and high doses of naproxen sodium, uh, off-label uses of antidepressants for chronic pain, you know, you name it. Uh, it was a really crazy series of months that I was going through all these drug trials because the side effects were terrible. Particularly the antidepressant was really bad. Uh, the steroids worked beautifully, but you're not supposed to be on steroids chronically. And as soon as I came off of them, I felt god awful. Um, and I started doing yoga and uh, was taught some techniques to try to, you know, decompress the spine and that sort of thing. But nothing worked as well as cannabis, um, both for reducing the pain, but also reducing the tension, relaxing the muscles, um, a number of things. And then also my mood, just improving my general outlook and the depression and you know all of these things that I was battling and um, and psychedelics were a big part of it too there were several psychedelic experiences I had um, throughout my college years that really helped me get past some of that severe severe depression and then there were um, at one point I did take um, a mood stabilizer that helped pull me out of the um, some of the suicidal ideation that I was in at the time. Um, 
And then I followed that up with just basic therapy that gave me a lot of tools to ensure that I don't end back in that spot again, hopefully. Um, so, you know, at this point, I'm what, like 22 or something in severe debilitating pain and realizing that cannabis is the best thing that can improve my quality of life on multiple fronts without giving me terrible side effects. Um, uh, side note on the side effects, the mood stabilizer, mood stabilizer I was on gave me migraine headaches, which I'd never, I've never had a problem with headaches in my life. And to go from that reality to all of a sudden regular migraines was um, crazy <laughs> from my own experience. Um, so the, the side effects of all these drugs was, were just rough um, and didn't really help improve my quality of life overall. But cannabis didn't really give me negative side effects that I couldn't handle. Um, you know, the occasional paranoia, um, big deal. Um, so I then came to a decision that I needed to leave Mississippi. But I had no idea what I wanted to do. At the time, I had a philosophy degree, so I have a bachelor's degree in philosophy. I almost finished up a bachelor's degree in psychology, and then I ended up staying at the University of Mississippi, which is where I was going to school for an additional several years to study biology and chemistry because I knew that I was really more interested in the natural sciences. The reason that I was taking philosophy and psychology is because I intended to be a psychiatrist but I knew I wanted to be in the sciences in some capacity, and it was around that time that kind of serendipitously, I ended up becoming friends with a researcher that worked for the USDA at the Natural Products Research Center at the University of Mississippi, which is one of the biggest natural products uh, research facilities in the country, uh, an amazing facility. And he asked me one day, do you want to get a tour of the cannabis lab that's on campus? And I said, of course. And so I ended up um, getting to meet all of the researchers over there and got a tour. And uh, that was fascinating. Got to see the vaults that they had there with DEA shipments of cannabis products. I saw their extracts that they were making, and, um, their R&D lab with all of their an analytical equipment. I saw their indoor grow, which at the time was pretty puny. I learned that they struggle a lot with uh, harvest times because the DEA has to give them approval to harvest and the DEA is slow as molasses at doing anything. And so there were root bound plants and stuff like that that um, shouldn't have been root bound, that they knew shouldn't be root bound, that um, they just couldn't replant because of waiting for the DEA's permission. Um, so I got to see all of that, their outdoor, you know, grow facility, which I already was familiar with the outdoor grow spot because I had an apartment right next door to the outdoor cannabis field. Um, but that kind of sparked an interest in me, you know, uh, not necessarily cannabis science, but just natural product science in general. And I ended up um, working for the IT department for the school for a while and ended up being the go-to IT person for um, the Natural Products Research Center and the Koi Waller Complex, which is the uh, building that houses the cannabis R&D um, lab for the 
National Institutes of Drug Abuse program. And so in that, I ended up getting experience fixing um, instruments that they had, mostly their gas chromatographs and uh, working on their computers. And so I ended up spending a lot of time in the lab talking to researchers there, learning about what they were doing. Meanwhile, I was studying upper-level biology and chemistry and um, trying to get a sense of what I wanted to do next. And I also knew that, you know, cannabis was becoming such a big part of my life. I needed to get somewhere where it was legal. And um, so I eventually ended up moving to Oregon. Decided to do grad school in Oregon. And uh, also at that time had started dating the woman who had become my wife. And she was on board to move to Oregon as well. So that's what we did. We moved to Southern Oregon and I started a graduate program at Southern Oregon University um, studying science education. So taking, uh, continuing to take graduate level biology classes as well as uh, basically master's teaching courses. And um, quickly became a medical cannabis patient within, you know, a month or two of moving there. And one thing I want to point out is when I moved to Oregon, this was before legalization. This was before dispensaries. This was before everything. There was only the medical program in Oregon was simply you get a card and you get three cards. You get your patient card, a caregiver card, and a grower card. And um, so, you know, I had my patient card. My wife was my caregiver. And then um, I had a grower card and I needed to find a grower. And eventually I did. My grower would uh, grow plants for me and I would end up getting uh, roughly a pound or two every few months for free. For free. That continued for a couple of years um, while I was a patient until uh, eventually, even after dispensaries were made legal, I still kept just getting my cannabis that way because it made sense. But before dispensaries were legal, there started to be in Oregon these kind of semi-clandestine nonprofits that were exactly as you think of a dispensary today, but everything was bought as a quote-unquote donation. And in Southern Oregon, there were a couple of places that tried to operate. There was a place called The Greenery, if anyone in Oregon remembers that place. Um, it got shut down. These places kept getting shut down. But the one place where they tended to thrive was up north in Portland and Salem, places like that. So I ended up making a trip up north to get the dispensary experience before dispensaries could legally operate. And... Um, Man, I will never forget the first time I went to a dispensary. One place that I went to in Portland that I'd like to give a shout out to, I don't even know if they still exist. I hope they do. I assume they do. Um, but Rose City Wellness uh, was a, it was an amazing experience. It was very professional and bright and inviting. And they brought one person into the showroom at a time. So you had privacy and could ask questions about all these products and you know, this was the first time that I saw cannabis edibles outside of brownies that me and my friends would make or something like that. And so I would get 
infused, you know, uh, cereals, and I had a coffee creamer at one point. Um, all types of cannabis flour. They had high CBD flour and uh, different ratios of things, and so. I loaded up on as much as I could and started experimenting, trying everything. And that's when I started to learn that cannabinoid ratios were a really big deal for my medical stuff, that high THC was great for some things, but actually having a one-to-one ratio or a four-to-one ratio of THC to CBD would actually a lot of times be more beneficial. Um, And so my mind just started to expand more and more as I started to put real life experience next to you know the things that i've been studying and learning since i was 11 or 12 years old all of the science that i had been digesting and uh, trying to understand was now meeting my real world experience um and it was incredible (laughs) um what was really amazing was when i discovered that there was someone in southern oregon that delivered Uh, cannabis products and I was able to get them to come to my house and you know you have this private session where they uh, bring out all of uh, you know this different flour and extracts and edibles drinks all sorts of topicals and stuff and you choose what you want all from the privacy of your home it's all very professional and uh, the guy that the delivery guy was he was amazing Um, I don't even I don't know if he would get in trouble or not I don't know if what he did was legal or illegal or gray i don't know i won't say his name just in case it could come back and hurt him but dude if you're listening you know who you are um and that was that was really awesome really awesome times and that was kind of the sweet spot of the oregon medical market you know at that point we're getting to 2014 or so 2013 14 and then things started to change Um, You know, there starts to be this push for legalization, um, also a push to legalize dispensaries and turn the medical market into a more sophisticated industry. So first came the dispensaries. Um, Dispensaries were made legal um, and they popped up everywhere they could pretty much immediately. I'm trying to think of how how I want to tell the story of the lab stuff, because that's kind of where the story gets more interesting and kind of where it ends. So I mentioned that I was in Oregon for grad school, was a medical patient experimenting with all the stuff, finishing up grad school. While I was in grad school, I worked as a botanist for uh, the federal government for a little while, scouting native plant populations and collecting native plant seeds and stuff like that got a lot of botanical research experience that way which was really nice supposedly there's botanical vouchers in the smithsonian um, botanical gardens and oregon state and some other places Um, or at least if there's not there will be at some point Uh, sometimes grad school research takes a while to actually uh, get wrapped up and sent to the right places but after that i ended up getting a job at a lab and this lab was called Kinevir Research. And it was being run by a, a really awesome natural product scientist named Dr. Anthony Smith, who'd studied at the Linus Pauling Institute at Oregon State, um, was just brilliant when it came to 
uh, dietary supplements and understanding how they affect the body and medicinal plants and kind of pharmacognosy in general. And so we vibed right away and I was his first employee. And we built that lab pretty much from the ground up. Dr. Smith knew that cannabis testing was going to become a, a critical thing at some point. It wasn't regulated yet, uh, but he knew that it was going to be important soon. And so we set off to develop analytical methods for you know, potency testing, ratio testing of immature plants and microbiology testing. And we partnered with an ISO 17025 accredited pesticide lab to offer pesticide testing. And to my knowledge, we were one of the first um, cannabis testing labs that was offering truly accredited pesticide testing back in 2015 or 14 or so. And uh, that little lab grew and grew. Initially, we were renting out space from a biotech company and we're in a like 400 square foot little space, tiny space and processing samples got busier and busier, eventually moved into another spot and expanded. And um, testing rules started to come. At first, Oregon required very minor testing. They wanted mold testing, potency testing, and um, very simple pesticide testing, or they just had classes of pesticides to test for. And labs, it was up to their discretion on what pesticides they test for and how many. So you had labs, some labs that tested for only eight pesticides, other labs that tested for a hundred or more. And at first, when working in the lab, our clientele was primarily, they were primarily patients and growers for patients. And so we dealt with a lot of people with serious medical conditions that would come in and ask us questions. And the gratification and reward from helping those people and seeing their quality of life improve by better understanding the products that they were making at home or the flower that they were growing at home. Um, it was amazing. I, there were times I would come home crying because it was just so moving, um, the stories of these people. And all of the questions that we would get, you know, really started to make me think like, there needs to be better education available for, especially for patients that, a lot of them are immunocompromised or have other issues, like they need somewhere to go. And so I started uh, teaching out of Southern Oregon University a series of sem seminars that I would do. I would organize them and have them every month between like March to October. So we did that three years in a row. And it was incredible. They were so much fun and I got so much enjoyment out of it and fulfillment out of it that I then ended up developing, well, really around the same time. I, I launched the seminars in 2015, I believe, 14, and I launched the uh, our first workshop that we ever did around the same time. And at the time, it was a very different workshop than it is now. There were a lot of things I was trying to figure out, although a lot of elements from the original workshop are still uh, still in play today. Um, but I started to do these like six week, seven week long workshops and, um, would run them through local dispensaries that would give me the space to do it and started to develop a, what would amount to a college class 
that covers a wide survey of cannabis science courses. I treated it like a college class in terms of, you know, there were evaluations and um, exams and reading assignments and class discussions and, you know, all these traditional elements. And the main problem I ran into is I couldn't find a good textbook at the time. Um, I needed a textbook that covered a wide variety of topics that weren't growing. <laughs> there were so many books that focused on the science of cannabis cultivation, which is great, but that's such a narrow piece of cannabis as a whole. And so what I decided to do was to write a textbook that would cover all of those other topics that I needed beyond cultivation. And that slowly became the Curious About Cannabis book. And it was right around this time that I started to make a transition in my professional career um, as it related to cannabis. Um, by this time, I had been working in compliance cannabis testing for several years and just dealt with a lot of changes. Our little lab got sold to a bigger company, a publicly traded company with multiple locations, and I took on a lot more responsibilities. I eventually was director of operations for that company, Evio Labs, in their very early days. Just kind of helped manage operations of all of the Oregon locations, which at the time were four separate locations throughout Oregon and it eventually just was too much on multiple levels um, I had to bow out of that world it was doing really bad things to my mental health um, you you're basically if you're running one of these labs or involved in any level of management you're on alert all the time there's always pressure to get results out to clients as quickly as possible and keep up with accreditations and you know make sure that you're staying on top of the quality of the work and making sure that employees are happy and making sure that you're evaluating everybody appropriately to make sure that everyone's doing the work that they're supposed to do um, it's a lot on top of having to go to conferences and keep up with, you know, the scene as it were. And so I'd had enough of all of that and just kind of the corporate world in general. And so I quit in 2017, late 2017 and kind of disappeared into the mountains and went to help a friend of mine with his cannabis harvest. Uh, it was mostly just me and him and a couple of other people here and there. And we just steadily all winter season just worked on cutting these plants down and getting them dried and cured and trimmed. And it was very peaceful. Um, and I learned a ton in, I mean, I'd helped with other harvests before, but this was the only one where it was really just me and him getting through this harvest. And in terms of like, I was there every day. And of course he was there every day. Um, and we didn't have a team of people. 
And so it was just a very different experience um, where I got to be more hands-on in every single step of the harvest. And uh, so that was, that was really restorative. Sometime, several months into that, I ended up getting a call from a friend of mine that asked if I'd be interested in doing work with Dr. Kevin Spellman. And I don't know if any of you are familiar with Dr. Spellman. He's been on the podcast a couple of times. Uh, he's an amazing person, um, brilliant when it comes to, uh, once again, pharmacognosy, how plants affect the body, medicinal plants, very knowledgeable about Ayurvedic medicine and um, all this sort of stuff. So I had run into Kevin at a conference before and had breakfast with him. And remember, we had a discussion about flavonoids, wanting to do a flavonoid research project. And so uh, when someone presented the chance to me to work with Kevin, I said, absolutely, yes, I would love to meet him and see what happens. And that led to me uh, joining a company that was operating in the I mean, really, they were a natural products company, not specifically cannabis, but um, their product lines were all focused around hemp. But they utilized all sorts of other medicinal plants. And uh, that company was called Green Earth Medicinals, or Indomira was the parent company name. And at the time that I joined them, um, they had an amazing science team. There was Dr. Kevin Spellman, there was also um, Dr. Jason Miller, who's an expert in Chinese medicine um, and just a really smart guy. Um, he's able to do particularly like math and like formulations and dosing and conversions and stuff could do them so uh, easily in his head. I was very jealous. Um there was also Travis Simpson, who's a um, herbal scientist that had gone to Bastyr University to study, you know, medicinal plants and how to process medicinal plants and how to make, you know, all sorts of different products out of medicinal plants. So just an incredible group of people to work with on a regular basis. And uh, while I was there at that company, I helped build their analytical lab. And just in general, their R&D lab helped expand their R&D lab. Uh, we were managed to pull off a few research projects, some of which um, we should see published within the next several years. <laughs> we'll see. It's another one of those things. Of sometimes things take a really long time after you actually do them to see the fruits of your labor. But um, um, had a good run for quite a little while. And then eventually when my wife got pregnant, we had our child uh, a little after that, I decided to, um, that basically my life was not conducive to a rigid work schedule. <laughs> and so I ended up uh, quitting that job and uh, just diving headfirst into self-employment. Looking back on all of these jobs, looking at my time at the cannabis testing labs, my time at the hemp company and working on R&D and product manufacturing in that world. I've now, and then also helping my friend Harvest and, and other, you know, trim jobs I was on and harvesting. And then I also 
cultivated plants myself throughout you know this time i've managed to have this unique position of having participated in almost every side of the industry at every point of the cannabis product life cycle you know i've grown i've harvested cured trimmed i've extracted processed refined uh, formulated manufactured products tested products and and i've been involved in research projects that um you know explore how products affect the body and stuff so it's it's just really crazy to think back on what i've been able to kind of touch in my limited experiences and you know i certainly still have a million and one things to learn but i definitely sure have learned a lot and seen a lot and and done a lot in the short time that i've been doing all this and i know some of you listening out there have been at this far longer than i have and have done way more than i have than i have so my hat's off to you we published the first true edition of the curious about cannabis book in 2018 but there were these uh you know spiral bound copies that floated around for years before that and yeah you know looking back on all of my time connected to cannabis um even going back to that debate in high school and my time you know as a patient and learning and then my time as a professional scientist studying the plant and then later trying to develop products and learning about all of these issues you know curious about cannabis has always been a seed that i've been kind of nurturing this whole time throughout all of my time uh, working with the cannabis plant and it's really wild to look back and see you know where we've come from and and where things are at now you know in um 2018 we published the very first edition of the curious about cannabis book which looking back on i'm a little embarrassed <laughs> by that one and i'm embarrassed by the second edition too because that's just the way it goes once we release something i recognize a million flaws and want to do it better and we will do it better because we are working on a third edition this year and the third edition should be substantially different than what's come before um the size and shape of the book is going to be different the layouts can be different we have people from the curious about cannabis educator team that are contributing to the book i think it's going to be really awesome and there's a possibility it may be the last edition of the curious about cannabis book um you know i told myself i would continue releasing editions all the way up until the book got to what I had originally envisioned and we're close. We're pretty close. So yeah, we, you know, we released the first edition in 2018. We started this podcast in 2019. It's only 2022 now. So, you know, it hasn't really even been that long and a lot's happened. Uh, we launched the curious about cannabis learning center in late 2020, early 2021 and started putting out courses and, updated our membership platform to include access to all of those courses and everything. It was also in 2021 that we 
um, release previews of the metaverse that we've been building. And that's going to essentially turn into a almost a video game <laughs> that allows people to explore um, cannabis science information in kind of unique and engaging ways. Now we're at this interesting crossroads, and I'm trying to decide how to move forward. So everything that has happened with Curious About Cannabis up till today has largely been just me. I wrote the books and edited. I have produced and edited the podcast episodes, um, the topical episodes that are kind of like an NPR style thing, you know, with sound effects and music and all of that. I edited and, you know, uh, put all of that together. Everything that you've experienced from Curious About Cannabis has been me. And you know, that's why I'm going to end up titling this episode, I Am Curious About Cannabis. And I kind of wanted to present to you listeners today, you know, you have a big say in what comes next. So currently, you know, where we're sitting with Curious About Cannabis, we can go several directions. You know, I've been kind of laying the foundation for this expanded ecosystem, including the the book and the podcast and the courses and the metaverse and the NFTs and all of these things that kind of work together that give people things to explore, to learn about cannabis, the discord, uh, all sorts of things, the workshops. And I'm just one person. I can't do everything myself, especially with no budget. And, you know, it costs around a thousand bucks to for just the infrastructure of Curious About Cannabis to function. And we, we're nowhere near clearing that much money per month in book sales and course sales and stuff like that. And so I've been eating those costs for about a year and a half or so. Uh, I mean, really like two and a half years, but the costs have grown over time as things have gotten, gotten more complex and bigger. And so I wanted to present some options um, because we get thousands of listeners per episode. I know there are lots of people that are tuning into these episodes and listening. So I'm going to present a couple of options and you can decide where things go from here. If we're able to get 100 new members onto the Curious About Cannabis Learning Center within the next few weeks, then we should be okay to keep going as we have to keep growing, you know, slowly, but surely. And I can afford to keep spending my time building all of this stuff out. If we can't reach that target of a hundred new members within a few weeks of this episode releasing, then I'll basically have to scale back. And what that would look like is I would have to shut down the Curious About Cannabis Learning Center. That would mean that the self-paced courses, the resource library, um, a lot of aspects of uh, the metaverse, and a lot of things connected to the NFTs um, would basically be put on hold. It wouldn't get erased necessarily, but I wouldn't, I would have to stop paying to have it all hosted. And, um, 
that would be a bummer, but it would basically send us backwards to where we were in 2020, early 2020, where Curious About Cannabis was really mostly just the book and the podcast. And, you know, the book and the podcast, we can keep going indefinitely with fairly little overhead. And so that's what we're looking at. So if you like Curious About Cannabis and you want to see it grow into a bigger brand and you want to see it become more complex and more interesting, basically my plea to you is consider becoming a member. It's only $5 a month and it gives you access to a bunch of courses online as well as uh, a lot of other stuff, um, early access to podcast episodes. There's a resource library that has every every bit of content we've ever made um, indexed there to explore all sorts of stuff. And yeah, so if we can hit that goal of 100 members, then um, we'll keep chugging along. And if not, we'll scale back and we'll keep doing the podcast and you know continue working on the book. But that's that's all that Curious About Cannabis will be at that point. So... Um, if you want to become a member, go to member.cacpodcast.com. I've really enjoyed everything that I've been able to do with the platform so far. You know, we've cleared almost 80 episodes. Um, and so I'd love to keep at it. Um, so, yeah, so that's member.cacpodcast.com. I really hope to see some of you join. I'm doing my best to add things of value to that membership tier. And um, I'm going to keep, as long as the Learning Center is open and functioning, I'm going to keep trying to update content and get new courses on there and make it you know, really worth your while. So, yeah, this is Curious About Cannabis. This is where we're at. <laughs> um, and as far as my personal life, I... Um, at this point have moved away from Oregon uh, that just happened this year in 2022 I've moved back to my home state of Mississippi because they just legalized medical marijuana here and so for the first time ever in my life eh, not quite yet but soon I'll be able to use cannabis in my home state without fear of having my life ruined and so uh, it's a crazy time. So here I am back in the South again, and I'm going to keep teaching and consulting and uh, doing research. I've got a variety of research projects in mind, um, particularly as it pertains to looking for cannabinoid-like compounds in other plants and fungi. And so... I'm sure I'll be posting updates about all of that in due time as well. So with that, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in. Again, if you want to become a member and support Curious About Cannabis and see us continue to thrive, just go to member.cacpodcast.com and sign up for a basic membership. And I hope to connect with some of you on the Discord and elsewhere. Um, but until then... Stay curious, everybody, and take it easy. Bye-bye.
If you want to learn more about cannabis, check out the Curious About Cannabis book on Amazon.com and other major online book retailers. 